Hello, everyone. It's May 14th. Welcome to our podcast. This is the one-year Bible tour guide, where each day we have a fresh excursion through the pages of Scripture. We're making progress towards our goal of reading through the Bible in a year. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm delighted to be your host and tour guide. We are in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and the New Testament Gospel according to John, and we'll make stops in the books of Psalms and Proverbs. Today we will meet the shepherd boy David, the son of Jesse, whose name will come up often on our journey from here on in. He is chosen by God to be anointed as the future king of Israel, and God will make a covenant with him, promising to establish one of his descendants on the throne of an eternal kingdom. In the New Testament Gospel of John, we're following the story of Jesus of Nazareth, who fulfills the prophecies of the anointed son of David, the Messiah. Jesus is born, lives, and dies as the king of the Jews, and rises to be enthroned as the living king of kings and lord of lords. Let's go now to the Old Testament and see how this idea of a man after God's heart begins to take shape. Of course, David is just a partial foreshadowing of this promised shepherd king. We don't truly see the perfect man after God's heart until we see in the God-man Jesus what he as God had intended man to be, his express mirror image, fully devoted to making God's heart and mind known to all. In Christ there is no margin of difference between His heart and the heart of God the Father, His teaching and the teaching of God the Father, His character and the character of God the Father. Jesus could say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. We start with chapter 15, in which the Lord rejects the first king, Saul, and then we go to chapter 16, where God chooses the second king, David. 1 Samuel chapter 15, The Lord Rejects Saul. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, two hundred thousand men on foot and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction." The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Chapter 16 David Anointed King The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice 
and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants, who are before you, to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion of the Old Testament in First Samuel. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. This is the lesson of First Samuel chapter 15. God-glorifying worship requires full obedience, not partial. Partial obedience is disobedience. Disobedience is a form of rebellion. Rebellion is akin to divination or witchcraft. To think that one knows better than God is arrogance. It is arrogant to think that we can reinterpret His commands with our better ideas. This is a form of idolatry. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, 
Mankind tends to rationalize his disobedience at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We think it is sufficient to decide for ourselves what is good. The Word of God tells us that the flesh profits nothing. We resist that idea. But the ban of the cross rightfully condemns the entire Adamic nature, its self-righteous goodness as well as its badness. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. John chapter 6, verse 63. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Saul was given instructions to be God's instrument in punishing the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they attacked their weaker members who straggled behind in the wilderness journey. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, we read, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary. And he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 and 19. God's instructions to Saul are clear. He is not to spare anything or anyone that belongs to Amalek. But Saul thinks he knows better. He spares King Agag and the best of the sheep and everything he considered good. He rationalizes his disobedience. He thinks he was being obedient in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20. His own excuse is a contradiction. I completely destroyed Amalek and brought back Agag, their king. If he brought back the king alive, he did not obey the Lord's orders. The bleeding of the sheep that Saul had spared also gave evidence of Saul's disobedience. Not only does Saul rationalize his disobedience, but so do the people with him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9 and 15, there is a lesson here. Even if Saul was being pressured by the will of the people to compromise obedience to the Lord, Saul is the appointed leader and he is held accountable. Our sins have consequences. Saul admits his sin in chapter 15, verse 30. He clutches and tears the hem of Samuel's garment as Samuel starts to leave in verse 27. Samuel explains that Saul's actions are a prophetic picture of the consequences of his disobedience, saying, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. In verse 28. God's immutability is evident in the following statement from the prophet Samuel. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. In verse 29, Samuel reminds Saul of a principle that is repeated throughout the Bible. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. This teaching is repeated throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments. Psalm 40, verse 6 and 8. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Samuel was not discounting the form of worship commanded in Scripture. He emphasizes the primary force behind the form, 
which should be reverential obedience from a heart that loves Him. Our worship is hollow if we are compromising our obedience. Our praise is empty and our sacrifices in vain if they are not backed with the gracious activity of God's love inspiring our full devotion to heeding His Word. If we are compromising or neglecting obedience to God, our religious activity, our church attendance, works of ministry, deeds of charity, serving on mission teams, etc., no matter how impressive, can be a cover-up of our heart's disconnect with the reality of God's worthiness. What Saul failed to do, Samuel did. Samuel did not spare Agag. He pronounced a sentence of fair retribution upon Agag, saying, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. Then Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Both the Lord and Samuel are said to grieve Saul's disobedience and demise. This incident marks the last time that Samuel would ever see Saul. In chapter 16, David is anointed by Samuel in secret. He will not be publicly anointed and recognized until much later, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter 5, verse 3. Saul would be on the throne for many more years. Once again, we have the repetition of the pattern. First comes that which is natural, then comes that which is spiritual. First the natural man is on the throne, then the spiritual man. The years between David being anointed as king and not yet enthroned by the nation is a picture of Christ, who is born king in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, and yet he is despised and rejected by the established leaders in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. David is considered the least likely candidate among the sons of Jesse, so that when Samuel asks to see Jesse's sons, Jesse does not even bother to present David. As Samuel reviews Jesse's seven sons, the Lord speaks to Samuel, saying, The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel presses Jesse to find out if he has any other sons. Jesse admits that his eighth son, his youngest, David, is tending his sheep. As David is brought before Samuel, the Lord says, He is the one. David is privately appointed and anointed by Samuel in the presence of his brothers to be God's chosen king for Israel. From that day onward, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David in power. David is anointed with the Spirit and is able to minister godly influence to others. In contrast, the Spirit of the Lord is said to have departed from Saul, and instead an evil spirit torments him. Saul's attendants request that someone is sent to minister to Saul who can skillfully play the harp to alleviate Saul's troubled spirit. David by this time has a reputation as a musician and a brave man and a warrior, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. One of the servants recommend David for the job, and he is recruited to be one of Saul's armor-bearers and resident musician. He pleased Saul and became a welcome member of Saul's household. Now let's go to today's reading in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor the Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. This is the end of our reading from the New Testament. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11 provide a wonderful illustration of Jesus' ministry of grace. A new day is dawning. Jesus descends from the Mount of Olives and appears again in the temple courts. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees try to trap Jesus by bringing before him a woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees did not bring the man. The law required that both parties to the adultery be stoned. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. The Jewish leaders were looking for a reason to bring Jesus to trial. They made the woman stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? If Jesus let the woman go, they would accuse him of not upholding the law of Moses. If he demanded that she be stoned according to the law, they would accuse him of rebelling against Roman law, which restricted the right to execute capital punishment to Roman authorities only. In John chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground. This was a picture of the first giving of the law, written on tables of stone by the finger of God. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, the law that contained the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. The Ten Commandments, however, did not just condemn the woman caught in the act of adultery, but every human being. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. James chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus is the finger of God, the author of the law. After bending down, a picture of his humiliation in the Incarnation, and writing on the ground, a picture of his authority, as the one who gave the commandments to Moses on tables of stone inscribed by his finger, he speaks to the woman's accusers, saying, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. At this 
he stooped down and wrote on the ground a second time. The accusing mob backed away one by one, the older ones being convicted first and then the younger. Only Jesus was left with the woman standing before him. Jesus, writing on the ground a second time, is a picture of God writing the law once again after Moses broke the first tables of stone in light of the flagrant disobedience and idolatry of the people who were worshipping the golden calf while he was on the mountain. The Lord told Moses to get another tablet. This time the law, written by the finger of God, would be put inside the ark, a picture of the law being fulfilled in the testimony of Christ. He is the only one without sin who could rightfully cast the first stone, executing judgment on the adulterous woman. Instead, Jesus stands as the one who takes the punishment that the woman deserves for her sin. He is her substitute and sheds his blood to atone for her sin. He alone can turn the judgment seat to a mercy seat. His blood upon the mercy seat above the ark of the testimony housing the law turns away God's wrath and wins God's pleasure on behalf of the repentant sinner. His concluding words speak of the fruit of the finished work of Christ when it is believed. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This command to go and sin no more is the promise of a new nature that will be mediated to the believer when the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. The command to go and sin no more echoes the promise of a new life in the Spirit, one of the benefits of the new covenant according to the Old Testament prophecies. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Jesus defends his testimony as the light of the world, affirming that it is witnessed by his Father and the written word. The Pharisees, Jesus affirms, know neither the Father nor the Word. Now we go to the Bible songbook and a very important psalm, Psalm 110, verses 1 through 7. This is a psalm that we will hear quoted often in the New Testament. Psalm 110, beginning with verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning the dew of your earth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Psalm 110 is an important messianic psalm. It is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament more than any other psalm. Verse 1 is referenced in the New Testament 25 times and verse 4 five times. As we have seen, Jesus used verse 1 to prove his deity in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, and to answer the high priest during his trial in Matthew 26, verse 24. Both Jesus and the apostle Peter affirm that the author of this psalm is King David. Since David was the highest ruler of the kingdom, his Lord, 
Adonai must be the Lord himself. The Lord said to my Lord, Adonai, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus affirms his claim to deity, saying, If David calls his son his superior, his Lord, how is he his son? Matthew 22, verse 45. Who else could the promised Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, be but the Lord God, Adonai, himself? He is both the root and the offspring of David. Verse 4 is referred to in the book of Hebrews to demonstrate that Jesus has a greater priestly ministry than that of the Levites, an eternal priesthood through which he has made a once and for all perfect sacrifice. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4. Now let's go to our reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15 verses 8 through 10. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. We saw in our earlier Old Testament reading in 1 Samuel 15 that the Lord is not impressed with worship coming from a heart that is not willing to obey. A similar idea is expressed here. The best that the religious pretender offers God is rejected. To obey is better than sacrifice. The prayer of the upright is his delight. The Lord loves those who pursue righteousness and receive his correction. Now let's pray. Father, we praise you for our high King of heaven enthroned at your right hand. Your Spirit is poured out upon us from our exalted head, Christ Jesus our Lord. We want to please you in every detail and not compromise our obedience. Keep us from buckling under peer pressure or rationalizing our negligence to keep your word. We thank you for the new covenant of grace, and that because of the blood of the Lamb, the perfect offering of your Son as our substitute, the judgment seat has turned to a mercy seat, and we can come boldly into your presence and receive grace to help in times of need. So thank you for your mercies towards us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was good to read and reflect upon God's Word today, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is instilling within you an appreciation for the greater David, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. We look forward to being with you tomorrow, and if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing an email address to podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or you would like to receive a written copy of our commentary today, you can subscribe at newlife.org. Well, we hope to be with you tomorrow. In the meanwhile, seize the day, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, and may your joy overflow. Shalom.